This is Jim Wills, and you are listening to the Crave Magazine Podcast, where we feed your soul with art. Learn to become your own greatest teacher and your own greatest fan. Find your flow and do your creative expression every day. I care about art because it is a fundamental way of people expressing themselves. Your story and who you are on your journey as an artist is part of what's going to make your art valuable. Art really fundamentally connects us as, as humans. Hello, all you beautiful podcast listeners. A few things to mention before we get into this episode. First, this will be the last ever Crave Magazine podcast. That's right. But only in name. We're still moving forward. It's just a rebranding. We're going to be changing the name starting with episode 40. It's a new look and feel, but it's the same old podcast that you know and love, doing interviews with incredible artists from all around the world. So look for that. Also, this is the first time ever two-part interview two-part episode, if you will. Episodes 39 and 40 are both with photographer Jensen Sutta. I sat down a year ago with Jensen and we did an interview about his photography, his work with nonprofits, his event photography with celebrities and people of notoriety, and then COVID occurred right after that interview. Here we are a year later and Jensen and I got together again and we talked about the impact of COVID on his work as a photographer and what he's done over the past year, how he's dealt with COVID, how he's dealt with it in his photography, and how he's moving forward. I think it's going to be two great episodes that you guys will really want to check out. The first episode is this one, episode 39, and then coming up very shortly, episode 40, a brand new episode with Jensen continuing the conversation about his work during COVID. And here we go. Let's get into it. All right, I'm here today on the podcast with a fellow photographer, a friend of mine, who has photographed some of the most powerful and, and well-known people in the world, including four presidents, many actors that we will get into, as well as musicians and other figures that you'll probably know. He's, are you a Denver native? I moved here when I was 10, so maybe a, I slide <laughs> in that. He, he's, been in, he's been in Colorado since he's 10. He's also lived in California and and some other places that we'll get into his story, and I'm here with Jensen Suda. Jensen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jim. Well, we start out every episode with an inspiration, something that inspires the artists I talk to, and that, that can be, since you're a photographer, it could be a, a, someone you photographed, or it could be a piece of art, or a movie quote, or you know, a book, or anything like that, or an inspirational person, uh, just something that inspires you. You know, I'm actually going to take that in another direction. Okay. And, and perhaps it leads into further questions, but... The way that I got into photography, the moment that changed my life, I was in a terrible car accident. Okay. And it broke my neck and back. Okay. And I had to take nearly a year to recover. And during that year, I realized if life can be that short, I'm going to do something I enjoy the rest of my life and give it a whirl not to take anything for granted and live each moment and enjoy it. And when you say something inspirational, something that drives me, something that, something that I wake up in and uh, and it is my motivation. It's remembering that. It's wow. that life can change in an instant. Yeah. So, rock it. <laughs> so, so the inspiration would have been that, that accident, yeah. uh, basically. Yeah. And, I and never would say I'm thankful for an accident, but I sure am grateful for the uh, perspective that it gave me. Sure. You, and you hear that a lot, too. People who 
go through a really tragic time or a tragic event that how it changes them and yeah and really clarifies that how how old were you about when that happened second semester senior year of college and wh- what were you studying to be I had finished all of the classes to finish a biology major and was taking the first two fun classes that I could finally fit into the schedule. <laughs> two of them were photography. So I was, I was ending college with biology, not knowing if I was going to go pre-med or work for kind of ecology or conservation. But I was really enjoying the photography classes. And I was on a field trip for a photography class, student driver, and we rolled six times off the road into the woods. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow, I'm glad you're still here. Thank you kindly, <laughs> me too. <laughs> and I think a lot of the people that you have photographed are glad you're still here because your, your photography is amazing, and we'll make sure we have some of those images, if you allow it, uh, to accompany this podcast. But let's get into your story sure. uh, from that point. L- let's just jump in from there because we're here to talk to you about an artist and as a photographer. So you were headed in one path. You yeah. had this really tragic event happen, which brought some clarity to your mind, and you decided to pursue photography. Uh, it was at that point while you're in recovery that you're, you said, uh, photography is something I love to do and I'm going to pursue that? Is exactly. That it was also at the same time I saw friends graduating college. I was jealous of their paycheck and their excitement, but also still recovering as I saw them start waning from their excitement, complaining about their cubicles, not loving the job, yep. finding out it wasn't all that was in the description. And so truly it was, it was the accident plus getting the opportunity to see them to give me the idea, you know what, then I'd like to be my own boss. I'd like to make my own choices. I'd like to pursue something that makes me happy. Yeah. And started all over again with Photography 101. Went back to school for it in California. So you moved to California. I did. And where did you go to school? I went to the Brooks Institute of Photography. Very famous photography school. Yep. How did you get in there from, with having a, did you have a biology degree? Did you graduate? I did. I did. Okay. Yep. And uh, did the research and called a bunch of photographers and said, if I was interested in pursuing this and knew nothing, what's your advice? And I'd say most of them said, go to Brooks. A few of them said, go to Rochester Institute of Technology. Mm-hmm. And I said, California sounds better than upstate New York. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and then the other piece of the puzzle is that I needed to get a part-time job while I was going f- through photography school. And I figured I'd be getting enough photography in school. I should get a non-photo related job. And so I applied to be a bellman at a hotel that hadn't even opened yet on the beach in California. Oh, wow. And it turned out that it was uh, probably the, the best choice I've ever made business-wise because when it was all said and done, I had business cards, I had a portfolio, I had excitement, and I was ready to, to dive headfirst into photography at that point. So I told everyone there at the hotel I was an aspiring photographer. So the hotel hired me for jobs. The concierge gave out my card. Bellman gave out my card. Oh, nice. And I, I didn't necessarily deserve the business I was getting, but my first year there in California at school, I had photographed Leonardo DiCaprio and Steven Spielberg, Paramount Pictures, the Polaroid Corporation, and, a, and an unbelievable amount of, of, of portfolio names just because of that hotel because they connection. Because were guests at the hotel? or Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. That was a good place to be then. I was very like, lucky. Did you, did you have that, that uh, aspiration at the time that, like, hey, I'm going to work here and it's going to help me in my photography or just I want to do something that's not photography-wise while I'm in school? I'd love to say that I planned that out and was a genius, <laughs> but absolutely not. I had no idea that it could lead to business like that. Wow, that's pretty great. It was very fortunate. And uh, before we started recording, we talked about studio. Have you, have you ever owned your own photography studio? I tried 
for about six months, I had a really neat shared studio that had a secretary out front, and it was very businesslike. It was very professional. The highlight of that six-month experience was that I photographed the engagement pictures for a Denver Bronco player, and I was in my office, and the secretary said, your guest is waiting for you in the lobby, and <laughs> here I am welcoming in a Denver Bronco player. So that was the highlight. Now, the low light is I gave it a try to become a nine-to-five businessman, yeah. and I left my laptop in that studio space, and on a Friday afternoon, turned it off and said, I'm going to have weekends to myself like normal workers. Came back Monday morning, checked my voicemails, and one of the inquiries was, are you available to photograph the world peace leader Desmond Tutu? Called them back Monday morning, and they said, oh, we found someone over the weekend. Ooh. So I realized right then and there, we don't have a traditional uh, time schedule like everyone else. No, sir. I carry the laptop and the cell phone with me wherever I go. Try not to work when I'm home. Try and be present when I'm home. But, uh, but said, well, I don't need an office space. That, that wasn't necessary and certainly can't shut off the laptop that yeah. afternoon and not check it again. Right, right. That was a good lesson. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, when, I had, when we had the studio that we had talked about, it was kind of a, a Monday through Friday, but there was always gigs on the weekend, you know, and the hours were not nine to five. It was, you know, nine to whenever. Yep. <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes, especially in the wintertime, it was getting there as the sun was coming up and you would leave way after dark. And, and, uh, and I found I didn't need it either. Like didn't, didn't love it as much as I thought I would have in a studio space. But, uh, and so, so as a photographer, you early on photographed some, uh, some celebrities or some people that were had notoriety. How did you decide that you wanted to be a, a portrait photographer? Because you do events as well. And how did you decide, like, these are the areas I want to go into? Well, it was decided for me to some extent. Uh, a lot of my friends started getting married, and they didn't care what kind of photographer I was. They knew a photographer. So I was asked to photograph many weddings. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I was doing some of these... Uh, folks with notoriety and, and politicians and things. And that was exciting on one hand to say, hey, look, mom and dad, here's who I photographed today. But on the other hand, it was incredibly appealing to photograph these weddings where I was welcomed with open arms. You're providing images that maybe brought someone to tears. You knew it was valuable and it was a little, it was fulfilling to be uh, providing folks with meaningful images that they appreciated. So I pursued wedding photography for many years from the get-go. I've photographed over 300 weddings, traveled the world, weddings in castles in Switzerland and Ireland, up, up with a bride and groom in a helicopter in Alaska. I mean, truly traveled the world mm -hmm. photographing wedding photography, ending, ending up charging over 10000 uh, a day for a wedding. It was, it was really successful and exciting. And then I'd say about six years ago now, said, I'd like to have weekends back, and <laughs> I've put my time in as a wedding photographer, and that's when I switched to really pursue music, music photography, portraits, nonprofit work, and really large events. Okay. I'm not sure that answered your question. Yeah, well, I think it did a little bit, because a lot of photographers, they take a path, you know, I'm going to be a portrait photographer, or a family photographer, an event photographer, a wedding photographer, and... I think it's easy to get pigeonholed, and in my experience, it is easy to get pigeon. It was easy to get pigeonholed as a certain kind of photographer. And if you have a, a large portfolio of, say, weddings, people think, "Oh, he's just a wedding photographer. Right. This this photographer can't do anything else." 
even if you have a whole section on your site that's, I do concerts, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And someone who's looking for concerts will think, oh, he's a concert photographer, doesn't, doesn't shoot weddings or whatever. And so I, I, most photographers worth their salt are sort of like jack-of-all-trades when it comes to photography. Right. But we definitely do take a path, and I did sort of the same thing. I, I for years, fought to not be a wedding photographer, and after working in Florida and moving out here, I was like, I'm never shooting a wedding again. But I had weddings in my pocket and knew it was something I could do. Sure. And so I sort of fell back into it for a while here. And, and it, it, it was a little tough for me to get out of it. How did you make that transition when you said, I don't want to really pursue weddings anymore? Especially when you're making such good, you know, yeah, if you're doing a $10,000 wedding, how yeah. do you make There's, that transition? You know, I'd, I'd have to start by answering, I'd have to start that answer again by crediting Santa Barbara. It's such an incredible town. You know, it's got that mystique-like Aspen mm-hmm. where it attracts a really neat market. Uh, Santa Barbara is a really neat destination spot for corporations as well as just celebrities and affluent folks. Sure. So even though I was on paper pursuing wedding photography, there was a lot of business in Santa Barbara photographing events. Uh, lots, lots of very high-end companies fly there and host their annual events there. So... Lucky for me, I had a lot of portfolio full of event photography and nonprofit photography even before that was my focus. Okay. So when I uh, decided I really wanted to make the switch, it was neat because I wasn't starting over. I wasn't starting from scratch. I wasn't switching careers. Right. I was simply contacting all the contacts I'd already made. For example, larger event planning companies often have many people working for them and saying, I've loved working with you. I've loved photographing weddings. But now will you think of me for corporate events instead? And, uh, and here's the portfolio that you've probably already seen. Let's highlight all the large events. And it, and it was not starting over. It was networking with the existing network. Okay. How did you find living in, Sa- in Santa, Santa Barbara? Is that what we said? So I lived there for eight years. Santa Barbara. How did you here? find the competition? Like California, there's got to be a ton of photographers I sure. imagine there's a photographer a, throw, a stone's throw away in you know, beautiful places. It was certainly that way when I lived in Florida. Sure. How did you... See, competition's a tricky word, and I, and I try not to look at it as a negative word. There's, in my opinion, there's enough work for everyone. Sure, I agree. I, I feel what's helped a little bit is targeting the very, very highest end market. So if you separate the business in, into different tiers, n- not every photographer's targeting the same market. Right. So that already means there's less competition. You're not in competition with every single photographer that's in Santa Barbara or every photographer that's in Colorado. But there's enough business for everyone. So I, I like networking and, and having lots of friends who are in the business rather than saying, oh, my gosh, there's a lot of competition. Maybe I won't be able to do anything or right. maybe I won't book business. Instead, I say, let's all work together and let's book as much as we can. Did your shooting of celebrities come from doing these large events? Definitely. Like, so you, you said you shot uh, Johnny Depp or Leonardo DiCaprio early on. Yeah. And did that lead to other celebrities or was it like a time period of, let me go do weddings and these other things and then sl- slide back into celebrities? I'd say the second I had celebrities in the portfolio, more business came that, that had celebrities mm. in them. And I'd say the first big job came when the Santa Barbara Police Department hired me they were excited to show the whole community all of the recognizable faces that support it. So my whole job that night was please cover all of the recognizable faces in the room. Mm. 
such an interesting job, and it was, uh, again, Santa Barbara's a magical place. You know, the folks that live there are ranged from Rob Lowe to Kenny Loggins to Oprah Winfrey. I mean, it's a long list of really recognizable, successful individuals. Yeah. And my whole job was to say, hello, may I please take your portrait for the Santa Barbara Police Department, or can I show the community that you support them? And, you know, most people were really excited to say, absolutely, where would you like me to go? What would you like me to do? And so... Uh, Having those images immediately, you know, the next call, let's say it came from uh, Hewlett Packard, and they'd say, we're interested in your event photography, what's your experience? And I can say, well, last night I photographed uh, Dennis Miller and Peter Noon, and, you know, name a a list of really successful, powerful people. They're like, well, I guess you're qualified, we'd love to hire you. (laughs) So I was no different than I was the day before, but because those names were in the portfolio, it did help. Okay. How did you uh, determine your pricing? Uh, this would be for this is a question more for people who are starting out in photography. And how did you determine your pricing coming out of college and then building that as you built your clientele? Great question, and I, I think I might even have three separate answers to that question. Okay. So I remember vividly the first way I did it. <laughs> it was in school still, and it was an assignment. Hey, pretend you were hired for uh, X, Y, and Z assignment. Generate a price quote and an estimate. And I remember calling several photographers around town pretending to be <laughs> someone else. Right. And pretending I was calling to, to, to ask them to do that job. To hire them, yeah, yeah. And I don't know if that's necessarily the right way to do it because I, I can see now that, that could be a little misleading and not the kindest thing because I probably got someone's hopes up. But... I got some quiet price quotes. Oh, wow, this person charges this. This person included this. And so I, I had kind of a baseline uh, because I pretended to be a client. The second thing I remember doing when I was really n- young, I, I knew I needed X amount of money. Let's say it was just a portrait. I, I knew the minimum amount I wanted to make would be, let's call it $100 because you needed to make a little bit of money. Then I would call the rental shop. How much would it cost for me to rent this portrait lens? So whatever equipment I needed, I'd generate that amount. Okay. I'd add the two together and say, hi, today this, was, this is the, the bargain price for a portrait. Right. So I, I, was, I was pricing that way when I started. Um, and there was a third way for generate pricing that I've learned much later on. And that's simply by asking the client, I'm so glad you're thinking of me for this job. What's your budget? Or how are you willing to share what you've paid in the past? So I truly still go to that today. You do? I do. Yeah. I do. I, there's jobs that I would have no idea how to price if they didn't help guide me with answering those questions. For example, I was lucky enough to take pictures of the singer Leanne Rimes, and her folks called and said, she's interested in, in using one of those photos on her concert T-shirts. And I said, that is wonderful news. What's your budget for that? <laughs> how in the world would you price? I have no idea how to price that. Right. And they told me what they paid in the past. And I said, oh my gosh, you're in luck. That's exactly what I would, would charge. And a signed shirt that sh- <laughs> that's printed with the photo on it. And they said, no problem. So, you know, it's really helpful. And, and sometimes it's a low bid and you have to say, I'm sorry, no, this is my rate. But other times... It's really a helpful guideline if they share what they've paid in the past or what their budget is. Yeah, that was going to be my follow-up question was, do, do you ever feel like they're underbidding when you say, hey, what's your budget? And they, sure. And they, and they lowball you. But then, the, Luckily, the way- now I, I, I think I have a better grasp on what's normal and what's sure. not normal and what the workload is. And 
you know, each job is different. You can say the same with wedding photography. Perhaps the hours are still similar no matter what wedding, but if you're photographing a 40-person wedding on a beach versus a 400-person wedding in the Ritz-Carlton, the workload's very different, so you'd need to charge different. The same is true for most jobs. Yeah. If it's a if it's a ginormous event with headshot stations and multiple photographers, you, you know, you need to bid very differently than a really small 100-person event in one ballroom. So sure. it's, each job's different now. Yeah. And, you know, on your first way of, of figuring out pricing, I, yeah. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. It may be a bit nefarious, but <laughs> if you called up and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm an aspiring photographer, what do you charge? They probably wouldn't give you a, an answer or a truthful answer. So I think, you know, what, like I said, while it is a little nefarious, you, you got a true answer. It of, was very helpful. Know. So, yeah, I, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with it. it like you said, it may have dashed some hopes, whatever, <laughs> of people who thought they were, might be getting a job. but. Right. It gave you a really clear picture of, of... I feel like now that it's been 20 years, I should call some of them back up and apologize <laughs> and see what they think. <laughs> so I would I'd typically ask artists about their successes, but you've had... I mean, you've photographed, like we said at the beginning, four different presidents. You have so many celebrities. Anybody who goes to your website sees a countless, endless number of actors and musicians that you've photographed. So how about a highlight or two of, of some really just magical photography experiences that you had? Mm, that's an awesome question. Some of the times that I've really pinched myself and said I can't believe I'm getting paid to be here um, is the way I take that question. And I remember there are quite a few answers to that. One, one I'd say, um, I got to spend a day with, with Jack Johnson. And it, it was, I don't know why we arrived so early, but it was really a long time of just hanging out before his show. And he was so kind and so friendly and wanted to play earlier than even the time of his announced show. And it was it was really a, a time that I said, I can't believe I'm here just hanging out and, and getting a chance to photograph this musician and seeing someone who worked so hard. He came from humble beginnings, worked hard to get where he, where he is and, and is achieving this level of success and so happy to be there. It was really a fun, a fun day. I, I, I was really appreciative of that opportunity. It sounds like you attribute that as much to his his character and his personality as it was to just being able to photograph someone of his notoriety. I'd say it's both. Yeah, I can't believe I'm the person that was selected to be here photographing this person, but also appreciative of who he was. Yeah. So I think the combination of them both. Another answer would be I was lucky enough to photograph three separate Democratic National Conventions, and the, the client was Madeleine Albright and her and the corporation called Democratic. Um, ah, shoot. Democratic Institute. I forget the name of it, but there's 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 a company that helps promote democracy around the world. So they help teach other countries that that want to have a democracy how democracy works. Okay. So during the 2008 DNC, I uh, was with her when the country of Russia invaded the country of Georgia, mm -hmm. and officials from the country of Georgia came to plead for American aid, and in the room was Joe Biden and Madeleine Albright. And for the first few minutes, photographers were able to document the meeting. And this wasn't even on the news yet. It was such an impactful current event that was real and, and, and heavy. And, and here I was going, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm here taking these pictures. And, you know, lives depend on it. And, and the world depends on it. And it, this, was, this was not just watching a t TV show. This was yeah. in real life. That was, that was, that was a moment that I, I don't think I'll ever forbid, forget because it was...
it was uh, impactful. History, history being made. It was the historical moment. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Correct. That's pretty awesome. It was really, really neat. So the, the antithesis of that earlier question, not to throw anybody the bus, we don't want to sure. mention any names or anything, but, uh, but every photographer has a horror story. Mm. <laughs> uh, something that, that was, was really bad that, that you learned a great lesson from. Let's, let's word it that way. <laughs> okay, I have two. <laughs> okay. Uh, one, I was photographing a wedding. So this was very, very early on in the career. And it was, a, it was an inside wedding in a city hall. And it was a sloped room. And it was during the ceremony, my flash broke off the camera. So that little, that little metal bracket where mm-hmm. you slide the flash in, the whole thing broke. And so first there was this crash, obviously noticeable. But to make matters worse, all four AA batteries went ding, 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 <laughs> ding, ding, oh, ding, ding, and then rolled because it was a sloped floor oh, so that the back pews could still see. Oh dear, it was terrible. It felt like three minutes of, of uh, noise that everyone was looking and staring at me. I had to give the like, I'm sorry wave, like if you cut someone off in your car. Right, I had right. to give that to the bride and groom. Oh, it was terribly embarrassing. Were they already like in the middle of oh, the yeah. ceremony? Oh yeah, uh. this was terrible. And I'd say an even worse story, and one that perhaps doesn't apply to today anymore. <laughs> but I was lucky enough to have had a job in Alaska with Toyota. Really neat job. Luckily, it wasn't cars or, or advertising. It was an event. And by luckily, I mean the problem was that I, at the time, was photographing with film, just like many times before, put the film in a FedEx box to send to the lab in Los Angeles, and the film was never found again. Oh, wow. So it, it, uh, it was awful. I lost sleep over it. Luckily, called my client, and who I'd worked with many times in the past, thankfully, and said... I need your help. And he said, he responded by saying, no problem. We have a dedicated FedEx rep. We'll get right on it and we'll find it. The, everyone tried as hard as they could, but that f- film was just lost. Wow. So that was probably the worst thing that could ever go wrong and did go wrong yeah, on the yeah. job. And from that point on, I was still filmed for a while, but it was a courier that came <laughs> to my door, handed the film that courier. That courier then drove to Los Angeles so that film never went uh, out of human hands again into a box. It was, it was treated much better, and now with digital cameras, obviously it's not a problem. But those are the two worst uh, business job debacles I've ever experienced. Yeah. Shooting, shooting famous people, yeah. do you ever find yourself in a position where you feel like you're, you're like a paparazzi? or you're? Oh, absolutely not. That's, a, you, that's is... a great question, and, I ha- and, and absolutely the opposite. Okay. So, for one thing, I've made myself, <laughs> this is probably not the right way to answer this question, <laughs> but I have, I have two custom-made shirts upstairs, both that say, not paparazzi on them. <laughs> That's how particular I am to making certain that I'm not in any way confused with paparazzi. The term paparazzi, to me, is another business model of individuals that are not paid up front, who make a living by needing to get photos of folks and then selling them. Mm -hmm. It's an awful business model, in my opinion. I agree. So I'm hired to be at an event, not often by the celebrity themselves, sometimes, but ordinarily their agent or their rep or their PR person or the event that hired them or a film festival. You know, whatever it is, I'm hired. I'm paid up front. I'm asked to be there. And almost every time I'm at an event, truly, 
the first thing I do before even having the camera in my hand is introducing myself to the recognizable person, saying, hey, my name is Jensen. I wanted to introduce myself and let you know that I'm not press, I'm not paparazzi, I'm not here to take a picture that you don't like. I'm here on behalf of whoever it is and just wanted to say hi. And I'm telling you the number of times that puts someone at ease. It's gone so far as then that celebrity calls me over to take more and more photos of them sometimes. Yeah. So it's, that introduction is, is truly, truly important. Now, it reminds, me of a, yeah. it reminds me of a crazy story, if, if you'll indulge me. Yeah, let's do it. I made a mistake once uh, of my wording. I was, I was the photographer for the Children's Diabetes Foundation. I'm sure they wouldn't mind me mentioning their name. But I, I was photographing on behalf of that nonprofit. And he was, he was there as one of the guests, and he was the only person in the green room. And I worded it for some reason by saying, Hello, sir, may I take a picture for you? And this was Denzel Washington, and he said, you're not taking it for me, you're taking it for you. <laughs> and he turned and walked away. <laughs> oh, man, ouch. I was, I was so disappointed and shocked. Later in the evening, the reason he was there was to introduce Sir Sidney Poitier. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's less mobile these days, so after Denzel introduced him, he walked down to the table to help Sidney on stage. And just... Just because it was a neat, touching moment, I took a photo of that. Thought that, you know, the, the, thought that was the end of the story. About a day or two later, I received an inquiry. Totally separate corporation, totally separate job. Are you available to photograph Denzel Washington? It was probably a month later. Yeah. I was doing the post-production on the children's diabetes job, and the photograph of... Denzel helping Sidney Poitier on stage was really a, a beautiful... It turned out well. I, I went to the lab. I printed it. I brought it to the second job <laughs> and wrote on the back, I took this for you, sir. Uh, <laughs> De- best wishes, Jensen Sutta. <laughs> and gave it to his agent. I- I'm certain he has no idea what that means or why, but it sure. sure gave me a giggle. Yeah. But circling back to your question, I never want to take a photo of someone that they wouldn't want to have been taken. If they're happy, I'm happy. I'm truly there to do right yeah. by, by everyone, celebrity yeah. or not. You know, I do this job because I like it, and I do this job because I enjoy meeting people. I, I love putting myself in other people's shoes. The, the very last thing I'd want to do is, is be anywhere near associated with paparazzi who, sure. in my opinion, you know, takes photos without asking rudely, and, and it's, it's unfortunate. I was going to ask you, you ever find yourself like in a gallery of photographers that and and then if so how do you differentiate yourself that's a good question for one thing if you're in that scene i'm not sh- i'm not sure how many folks know what that's like but w- for example if you think of the oscars when there's a giant red carpet oftentimes there's there's a huge area let's say a uh, hundred plus photo f- photographers all behind one little rope they end up yelling and screaming and saying look here look at me there have been times that my job was to be there in that area. And I'll tell you one thing that differentiates is that never in my life would I yell and scream at someone to try and look my way. Right. So I've, I've been in that scenario and I, I turn off the flash and I'm just looking for candid moments and trying to use the videography light and get something that looks different and something that captures the scene without getting these same images in the same manner that those folks are doing it. But... Really, Jim, I've been so lucky at the last several 
kind of in environments that I've been in where that scene exists. I'm the one who was hired and have an all-access pass and I'm on the red carpet mm. and with them. And I don't have to be near that craziness with yeah. the folks that are yeah. penned behind those robes. I've noticed that so many of your photographs look like portraits, but I imagine they were done uh, you know, on location when someone's speaking or performing or something like that. Without giving away any of your secrets, is that something that you try to make sure happens on location, or do you do a lot of post-production work to, to get that look? That's a great, great question, too. Definitely, I try my best to do it as close to possible on location. And that goes back to starting in photography school forever ago with film. Mm -hmm. And you learn right off that each time you click that shutter, it costs you a quarter. That's right. Between buying the <laughs> film and processing and printing. So it makes you more cautious and more careful and want to get it right in the first place. And I'm really thankful that mentality is carried over to digital. So to help answer your specific question, a lot of times when you think of, well, let me first say what my goal is. I love taking clean, simple portraits, whether it's someone on stage singing or whether it's a portrait. I, I love clean, simple backgrounds. So when you think of a concert and you think of all of the folks in the audience staring at the person on stage, the lights are right above the audience. So they're almost all straight on f above those people's heads on the performer. Mm -hmm. So my goal is to photograph from the sides which automatically does two things. It's more dynamic side lighting on the person who's performing. Sure. And now all of a sudden my background's dark because those lights aren't hitting side stage ordinarily. Right. They don't want light side stage because that's where wires and other workers are and, and gear. Yeah. So that's ordinarily really dark. So to answer your question thoroughly, sometimes do I need to darken that background if there was the song list or a white piece of tape or something reflecting, definitely. I'm not, I'm not opposed to burning or, or uh, cloning out something distracting in the background, but I always do my best specifically looking for those angles and darker backgrounds. The same is true for some of these celebrities. Uh, for example, I was able to take Brad Pitt's portrait about three weeks ago at a film festival, mm -hmm. and I'm able to say, hi, sir, can you please stand here? Can I take a quick picture? And, and on purpose, I had scouted out where a dark background would be, and it was side-lit by video cameras, and then, so it, it's looking for the clean, simple background to begin with yeah. and putting them in the spot that I wanted to. But, but yes, along your lines, do I have to darken some sometimes? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, it sounds like a great combination there. And, and that is, I think, a testament to the skill that you've developed. Like I said, looking through your portfolio online, it looks like you've got a lot of these people in a studio setting or against the backdrop or something because, because they're just so well done and, and isolated. You've isolated the subject really well. Thanks. So, and sometimes yeah. I do. I mean, my next job next week is going to be a whole set of uh, recognizable faces that I'm bringing my backdrop and my lighting, and it'll be a, a studio-lit portrait. So it depends on the job. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So uh, speaking of new photographers or other photographers, what's, what's one piece of advice you would give to someone who's starting out, who has aspirations, maybe even not to shoot celebrities, but, but to really get into successful full-time photography? You know, my, my favorite piece of advice to pass on, and I, and I stole it from a book from the person that founded Kinko's, and his, uh, his piece of advice was try not to look at the client, but try and look as the client. Mm. And I love that tiny way of thinking about business. I'm not doing this for me. 
I'm not showing up to photograph for me. I'm not answering the phone thinking about me. I'm trying to put myself in the client's shoes. And this was incredibly valuable at the very beginning when I was pursuing wedding photography, even to the point of making my own voicemail message. You know, if I'm thinking of the client, I was thinking, ah, nuts, this bride's really excited about their engagement. She's really excited to be planning the wedding. And now here she's getting a voicemail. I'm so sorry I can't answer this phone right now, but I can't imagine how excited you are for your upcoming wedding. I want you to know I can't wait to be your photographer. I'm really sorry you have to wait before me to call you back, but I will call you back right away. You know, just... Just putting yourself in their shoes helps in every aspect of business, yeah. from how I return a, an email to how I show up on the job. If I'm putting the client first or thinking of their needs, it's making everything about business better. And, and that mentality is what I would uh, try and pass on to new photographers because it's invaluable no matter what aspect of photography you pursue. Sure. Probably could, could be transferred to any type of business, but it certainly helped me with photography. That's great advice. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really good. Put put yourself in the sh- shoes of the client. Yeah. Why do you, why do you think people are, are not like someone who's aspiring to be a photographer? What what do you think holds people back from having those aspirations or or, or falling through? I should I should say. You mean what's a roadblock that helps prevent someone from being successful? Yeah. Mm, in photography. Oh, in, in would, artistry in general, but in artistry coming from a photographer's perspective. Well. I'd say a, a, a common roadblock is customer service. Okay. It's easy to have an artist's brain. You know, if you, if you want to pursue photography, you want to pursue art, you're clearly creative. You're, you're, you're ordinarily artistic, and, and you have that side of, of your brain going for you. But if, if the client doesn't like you, no matter how good the art is, they probably won't refer you. So you've got to have the customer service mind as well. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm sorry, it goes back to the last answer of how can I help this client? You know, how, what are your needs, not mine? It, it's tied together. You can teach people how to take a photo, but you can't necessarily teach them easily how to f- put them first, how to, how to, how to t- take your ego out of it, right? This is not about me. Right. I'm going to... I'm going to shine my shoes, and I'm going to dress professionally, and I'm going to wash my car. I'm going to do everything I can to present myself well because I want the clients to be comfortable and happy with who they hired, and I can't wait to make those clients happy. So none of that has to do with taking the photo. Right, it has to right. do with under-promising and over-delivering and making sure the client's happy with them, them spending the money on what I'm providing and who I am. So it's teaching that aspect of things. I wish more photographers had jobs growing up where they learned customer service. Be in the hospitality industry, practice customer service. Yeah. Then that can translate so nicely in whatever art field you want to pursue, whatever art you want to create. But now you're not only creating your art, but you also know how to take care of others as well. And combining those two, I think, really helps uh, to make a successful business person. Sure, absolutely. Is there anybody that you haven't photographed yet that, you, that you'd like to? Mm. Yeah, there's a couple people on the list that I'd love to cross paths with. At, at this point in my career, Jim, like you mentioned, I've been really, really lucky, and most things are crossed off. What makes me happiest now is taking pictures that matter, taking pictures that are meaningful, helping nonprofits. But in terms of specific people, it's a similar answer in that people that have a platform and are using it to make a difference mm-hmm. are those that I find really appealing. So 
folks like Ellen. I've, I've never crossed paths with Ellen. The football player, J.J. Watt, who really does a lot of good in the world yeah. uh, and raised millions after the hurricane, is someone that I, I was really, I'm really intrigued about. And then the one, one different one is, uh, <laughs> is Tom Hanks. Uh, I've, I've got this wonderful job for the Santa Barbara Film Festival where I ordinarily photograph all the Oscar nominees. And I early on got excited that this was, um, he was going to get a nomination for Mr. Rogers. So I found myself more excited than I, I thought I'd be uh, <laughs> at that pro- prospect. He's, he's, he's a really uh, successful actor, but I never knew I would be that excited about the opportunity. And then it turns out he wasn't a front runner, so he wasn't on the list of people uh-huh. to photograph. But now I'd put him on my imaginary list because so I Mr. hope Hanks, to... if you're listening, <laughs> please, please, I'd love Carl to Jetson, t- and let's get let's get you let's get him in your. I'd love land. to meet you someday, Mr. Hanks. Thanks for listening. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever been starstruck? Not really, not really. How do you avoid that, or how did you learn to avoid that? Uh. By doing my job, and that's a strange answer, but my job began as a bellman, not as a photographer, and my job was to help the guests get to their room, help them figure out the electronics at the resort, help them with their bags, pick them up at the airport. So my job was to provide customer service, and immediately you learn they're just regular people. Mm -hmm. You know, some need help with their bags, some some don't want... To ask for help, some are kind, some are busy. They're just regular people. So it was, it was a lot of mingling with recognizable folks before, long before I was a photographer. And then the second part of it is I never kept track of tabloids or watched the news, so I didn't know any of the garbage either. Yeah. Both to judge them in advance or to be excited in advance. They're just who's walking in the door? How can I help? What can I do? And that same kind of attitude translated to when I was a photographer. I. You know, whoever you are, hey, I'm here for you. How can I take your picture? What can I do to help this event or this nonprofit? And it's not really about me and it's not really about them. It's just, they're just folks. They're just people. Have I been excited to be on jobs? Have I been excited to meet certain people? Yes, but it's it's not really starstruck. They're just folks. They're regular folks. They're just like you and I that had some neat careers or they chose to be on television, which means people recognize them, but they're, they're all just regular folks. Right. Let's get a little deep here. Okay. Being a photographer and an artist, why should we care about art? Ooh, that is deep. Why should we care about art? Take as much time as you need. Goodness. <laughs> First thing my mind comes to is how, how rare it is now to print pictures because everyone takes them on their phones and puts them on their computer and not even on the walls anymore. But you know, if you... Start hitting milestones in your life. What's the first thing you want to do? And that's go back and look at photographs and art. And it, it, it freezes time. It helps helps take you back to that moment when you're hanging out with your father who's passed away or mm-hmm. children when they're young. Or, hey, I worked my whole life to be a musician. Here's an image of me on stage at the Carnegie Hall. You know, those are milestones that are really important. And so, to me, art is that... Art's... The, Art's that historical capture of time. It freezes it for you and jogs your memory and makes you happy. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure that answers it. That's a tough question, but that's where my mind went. Well, you know, when it comes to photography, for sure, you always hear people, like after a disaster struck, a tornado, for mm-hmm. example, 
you know, the first thing they look for is, is their photo albums, you know, because of those memories. And that's, that does really lock us in mm -hmm. to, to our past, having those. You mentioned about the photos and our, our cell phones. You know, we take, I, I forget what the statistic is today, but I think it's something, it's definitely in the millions of photos that are posted online every day, if not in the billions. With the advent of smartphones and, and everybody having a camera, a good quality camera in their pocket, how, did you, how do you differentiate yourself as, I'm a professional photographer and I'm going to take a higher quality, better photo, whatever, than, than the average person with a smartphone? Smartphones are getting pretty good, aren't they? Yeah. I still am very confident that between the, knowing lighting, posing, and, and knowing my gear so well, I could take a wonderful portrait of anyone that will be better than someone who doesn't know what they're doing with an iPhone. You know, if you have a large nose, I know how to pose you to your nose looks smaller. If you mm -hmm. have a narrow face, I know how to pose you so that your face looks less narrow. If you have one eye larger than another eye, you know, there's, there's a lot of things to learn about that, that are skills as a photographer that really help make a more flattering picture. That yeah. No matter how many cameras are in your pocket, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be as flattering of an image as someone that, that knows what they're doing. I'd say that differentiates a professional from an amateur in one, in one way right there. Okay. And then lighting. You know, the best photographers know lighting. Yeah. No matter what lighting it is, indoors, outdoors, window light, flash. If, if, you, don't, if you don't understand lighting, it doesn't matter how good the, the camera phone yeah. is. You're not going to get a great photo. You can have right. the most beautiful person in the world. But if you're trying to take their picture in darkness or in terrible light, it's not going to be a beautiful photograph. So... Luckily, there are still skills that differentiate professionals right off the bat from sure. as good a phone as you can get. Yeah, yeah, for sure. How did you, as a photographer, how did you keep from becoming jaded at it? A lot of times, hmm. the, as an artist especially, the work, the, the passion becomes work, and then it becomes drudgery and becomes not fun. How, did, how do you prevent that from happening? Well, for weddings, it's the emotionality of it. You know, it's so real. You're photographing grandparents that not, might not be around for very much longer and you're photographing people on their happiest day it's hard to get tired of that that was really rewarding and when I gave that up and started pursuing events I realized really quickly I was missing something fulfilling and emotional and powerful so the way I kept it fresh and kept kept it enjoyable is that I said I need to fill this gap with nonprofit work I need to be making a difference and and that's that's something that that's invaluable i've been to haiti seven times now in the last five six years mm. and and taking photos that are making a difference and and telling the stories of nonprofit work that's changing lives and that's that's not something that i i can't ever envision that getting getting me jaded that's something that keeps me fresh and excited and knowing i'm doing something helpful and positive i was able to provide images to someone that gave food for a feeding program. And they said, because of the images you just sent us, we're going to provide food for three more years for this nonprofit. Wow. You get an email like that. I mean, I just feel like I, I made a difference. Yeah. I, I'm leaving a legacy. I made a difference in people's lives. And that's, that's incredible. Yeah, you can't, you can't buy that. No, <laughs> no. And, I, and more importantly, now I want to figure out how to duplicate that. Yeah. Because now it's addicting. I, I, I don't want to just take a photo that gets thrown in the garbage or a magazine that gets thrown in the garbage. I want to take pictures that make a difference. 
Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's really important. That's a key too for that give back aspect mm-hmm. of of not everybody has the means to give back financially, but right. to, to to volunteer your time to find something to find a cause that you believe in and that you love that that does good in the world. I think is really really important to balance to find that balance in life. And you're doing it with photography uh, in that. Hey, I can provide images of of things like this. You know, maybe you do also hand out food, but if you can take pictures of people and and provide that for somebody, look at the good that this organization is doing, that can provide more good, as was the case in this situation. I think that's fantastic. And of course, the phrase is, you know, it gets rewarded to you ten times, right? If 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 I'm helping others, no, 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 I'm the one who's feeling so good on the inside and gaining perspective and remembering how lucky I am and. You get so much good by helping others. Yeah. And it's yeah. easy to do. It really is. Just be kind. Just be kind. <laughs> That's good, too. I like that. I like that a lot. As we wrap up here, what, what do you have coming up uh, in the next year or so that you're very excited about? That Anything Ooh. anything spectacular that you want to talk on? I'm looking forward to an incentive trip in the Maldives. So that's a group of people that were the highest sellers for their company. And I'd like. I, I'm, I think I'm going to learn how to scuba dive so I can help do some underwater photography for the group when they're when they're down there shark shark viewing shark viewing I think that's sure. the word <laughs> um, uh, so at Maldives is something I'm really excited yeah, about sounds fun I've got a you know sometimes I've been so lucky to be so busy that sometimes I'm just most looking forward to the next job it is next week is a is a big uh, a big celebrity job where I'll be photographing a musician and some real recognizable folks and taking some portraits. So that's that's coming up. So it's it's on the radar and I'm excited for that. I've got a, a lot of really wonderful repeat business that's always fun. Really really fancy car shows in Pebble Beach and in Amelia Island, Florida. Oh yeah. I love the Children's Diabetes Foundation. They they alternate their big event each year, once in Los Angeles and once in Denver. And this year it's in Beverly Hills, uh, so that's going to be a fantastic event. They haven't even announced what, what the celebrity, who the celebrities are for that, but it's always a really great mix of, of recognizable faces who support their cause. What else? What else? What else? I don't. I, I got a call where they didn't even tell me who the recognizable person is. They wanted me to place a bid and say it's it's one of the most recognizable religious figures in the world and wanted me to bid on a day's coverage. So part of me is excited because it's the unknown. I, w- I wonder who it is. <laughs> right. <laughs> what else? Is there anything else to throw out there that I'm excited about? I can't wait to do more nonprofit work in Haiti. I think I'm going to teach some workshops in Haiti as well to, to see if I can help those that are pursuing photography do better in business in Haiti. And yeah, that'll be kind of cool. a neat opportunity to help others in a different way. Uh, I think that's lot. most that's, of it. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah. How, how do you balance the work and home life? You're married. Oof. You have kids. How many kids do you have? I have two boys. They're nine and eight. And currently I'm digging out of a hole because this has been an unbelievable start to the year. I started on the Amazon River and in Peru and Ecuador. And I went straight from that to an 11-day film festival, corporate job in San Diego, a celebrity golf tournament in Arizona, and then I had a wonderful job where I got to accompany Tim Tebow uh, to five different states where he has, was hosting proms for special needs children. Oh, wow. So 
this year I have not done a good job balancing work <laughs> and home life because there were so many jobs all at once. Luckily, that's not the ordinary. And my answer to how I balance is that when I'm home, I'm home. So I do, I do have a lot of trips, but I try and get all the post-production done in the airport and on the airplane. And when I land, I'm home. And okay. I drop off, pick up school sports, you know, dad at home. And then work hard when I'm gone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know for you and I to get this together, it took a while because you were, I'm here, I'm there, you're, you know. So I appreciate the time and allowing me to come into your home and, and take this time to, to Jim, it's you. such a compliment. I really appreciate you asking. I hope someone listening appreciated hearing something. And oh, if, Mr. Hanks, I expect we'll be calling. I can't soon. wait. I can't <laughs> wait for that to come out of this. That would be fantastic. But even if it's not Mr. Hanks and anyone else interested, don't hesitate to, to email. I'm always happy to help and uh, expand on any answers and uh, appreciate your time, Jim. So how can people get a hold of you? The website is jensensutter.com, and that has both the cell phone and email. That's the easiest way. It's probably email, because no matter where I am, I can answer and, and hopefully help. Okay, and Jensen is J-E-N-S-E-N, Sutter, S-U-T-T-A, right? Exactly. Jensen Thank you very Sutter. much. Com. Okay, oh, yeah, yeah. Any, any last words or pieces of advice or thoughts that you want to share with the Crave audience? I would say congrats on pursuing your passion. Thank you for listening, and don't give up. Working for yourself isn't the easiest, but it sure is rewarding. I've been doing this 20 years, and I'm thankful to have been employee of the month each month. <laughs> you have your name on all the plaques for 20 years. That's true. right. Best parking spot. <laughs> 20 years running. <laughs> well, Jensen, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate your time and, and like I said, inviting me into your home and, and sitting down chatting. Thanks, Chip. Yeah, man. Absolutely. The music for episode 39 is from Denver, Colorado folk singer-songwriter Cole Shifley. The song is entitled Flightless Astronaut off his 2019 debut EP, Everything Matters, Nothing Matters at All. Be sure to come back for episode 41 where we get to sit down with this young up-and-coming artist. Right after episode 40, part 2 with Jensen Sutta. Thank you for listening to the Crave Magazine podcast. I am Jim Wills, your host and producer for this episode, and I am on a mission to bring art back to the world. And with your help, we can make that happen. So please, take a moment to leave a positive review for us on iTunes. And if you like what you heard, even more importantly, tell your friends. If there's something that we can do better, by all means, let us know. And if you are an artist or even just want to hear from a favorite artist, well, send us a message. We are putting this show out for all of us who love and appreciate the arts. So tell us how we can improve. Remember... Always be good to one another, and of course, take time to feed your soul with art.